when you have to temper metal, you have to get it to reach a certain temperature uh, to where the molecules become as hard as they can be. And that means you have to turn up the fuel, turn up the fire. And that's what's going on with the church right now. Tonight we're going to look in the book of Acts and see that these things that they're going through are conflicts. But how many of you know conflict can bring growth? Conflict can bring strength. There's two ways for conflict to work. Number one is it'll either prove you, test you, right? Uh, or it'll break you. And uh, what it did for the church was it brought strength. And so many believers don't want to go through conflict. How many of you have done pretty well without ever going through any? No, but there's a reason for it. Going through conflict makes you strong. It builds your muscles. I mean, think about muscles and resistance. That's what training does is it builds your strength up. And so it's time, you know, you, you, you couldn't carry your kid with you everywhere. It's about time that when they're six years old, they should learn to walk, don't you think? Maybe two. <laughs> Maybe younger. You got, but that kid will fall down. What do you do? You pick him back up. We've got to get tempered. We've got to get built up and strengthened. And God is going to do that with his church as we see in Acts chapter 6. And so I'm going to take you through three different kinds of refining fire and conflict that the early church went through, and we're going to look at the results of that and compare it with our own lives. So where there is conflict, it equals growth. It can equal growth. And so every conflict we face, if we have that mustard seed of faith, if we trust in God, it's going to get us through, right? So many of us want God to make us get through, but God wants you to be strengthened to get through. The Holy Spirit is called the parakletos, that's the Greek word, and it means the one called alongside. Now he's called alongside us to counsel us and to encourage us not to do everything for us. And that's what good parenting's about. You don't do everything for your child, you train them to learn to go forward on their own right? And this is what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. He's training us, some have put it this way, training us to reign, training to reign. You know that we're going to reign with Christ and rule with him, and he's training us now to be leaders, kings, and priests. And so he's training you to handle your budget, to handle the problems at work, to handle the conflicts in our culture. We want it to be so easy. Well, if it's Becomes so easy, we'll become weak. And so conflict strengthens us, and that's what he's doing with the church. The first one we looked at was last week, and that was infiltration coming into the church, right? We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. We had some great discussion on that, and we saw that Ananias and Sapphira were not believers, but they were trying to infiltrate, and in fact, the gall, the audacity of Ananias and Sapphira to lie at the feet of the apostle Peter. They put their offering down and to his face lied to him, all right? And so for them to lie to Peter, after all that God is doing, you see the majesty of God's work and the signs and wonders that validate the word that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead, for them to not even consider that but lie to Peter, it caused a real problem, didn't it? Peter said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Why'd you do that? And Ananias was immediately judged and put to death. Sapphira followed after him. 
and she was put to death. They tried to infiltrate the church with sin and uh, trickery. And God was showing them that this church is the holy temple of God. It's the presence of God. And just like, how many of you know that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, tried to bring strange fire into the temple, and they were immediately killed. And so it was with Ananias and Sapphira trying to infiltrate the purity of the early church with trickery and lies. They were immediately put to death because of the holy presence of God. Amen? Now let's look at the results of that in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them. They were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There's a weird dichotomy there, isn't it? Who were the ones who were scared to death and would not dare to join them? Other infiltrators, those who were not believers, those who were not followers. They're not going to mess with this group. This isn't just another Jewish sect. This is something different. This group of these followers of Jesus, uh, I don't want to mess with them. You saw what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. You, you, you got to be right to get into that group. So you had a whole group of people that were scared to death that the church, didn't want anything to do with it, but respected them. Okay? But then it says, but there were many men and women that were added to them daily. I thought everybody was afraid of them. <clears throat> Not if they received the word. They came into that level of protection. They came into that by trusting in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the stumbling block for people, isn't he? And so Jesus is going to offend everybody. Because Jesus calls all people to repentance. In our culture right now, we don't want to be identified as having sin. Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Are you calling this a sin? Is that a sin? You're offending me. Let's just put it out there. Jesus calls all men to repentance. There is none righteous, no, not one. Okay? Now, if you can deal with that, then you're going to come to a Savior. So you have these two groups, those who were offended by the church, stayed away, but it, you know, were respected, and then you have those who were, wanted salvation and ran to Jesus, and their numbers grew. So this conflict brought growth, but it brought a purity of growth to where true believers were coming to the Lord. I believe that we're in a time where we're going to see a separation of the tares and the wheats, those who are false believers, those who are not fully convinced in Jesus, who have been attending church, I think they're going to head out the tougher it gets. The more people are coming against Christianity, those folks who were never into Jesus Christ or got saved are going to leave because it's getting too hot. The persecution's coming. And that refines the church. And that's what we see with Ananias and Sapphira. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? All right, let's go on and let's see what happens here in verse 28. Um, no, I'm going to start at 17. 
The second aspect of the refiner's fire is persecution. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Uh, somebody, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Why would the party of the Sadducees be upset about this preaching about Jesus? The resurrection, right on, Kim. Because what's wrong with Sadducees and resurrection? The Sadducees, who were Jews, Jewish leaders, did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. Okay? Pharisees did. There were Pharisees and Sadducees. These were the religious elite in Judaism. Most of the Sanhedrin was made up of Sadducees. But they rejected the message of Jesus because what's the main evidence that Jesus is Messiah and Lord? The resurrection. So they're ticked by this message that's going throughout Judaism. And so it says, and here's the key, they were filled with what? Jealousy. Jealousy. Why would they be jealous? Let's have some discussion. Why are these Sadducees jealous of these Christians? In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, he says that we are to provoke the Jews to jealousy. This is the Jewish Messiah. He came to be the Messiah of the Jews and unto the Gentiles as well. And the Gentiles are receiving him and the Jews aren't. And there's a lot of stuff happening for them and they're, get, they're provoked to jealousy. Oh, that's, that's good. They didn't have any joy because they were sad, you see. Say that again. They were proven wrong because of the resurrection. Yeah, they were commoners. Didn't they lock up Peter and John once already? And they said, these unlearned men. So here they are leading all this, all this activity going on, thousands of people turning to them, getting saved. You've got this, this in, incredible, it's right after this Ananias and Sapphira thing, you've got people who are dying uh, you've got people who are being healed and delivered. You've got evidences of signs and wonders that are coming from God and manifesting. And they don't got anything except their, their robes that they're wearing that make them look good. Right? How many of you know that I need a real Jesus and not someone that dresses up like them? That's what we need. So that's why they're jealous. You know, jealousy makes people do nasty things, doesn't it? All right, let's keep going then. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and put them out. Well, let me ask you something. They arrested the apostles. So how many people did they arrest? Twelve. Weren't there twelve? Right, we got Matthias on board. He took the spot of Judas. And so now we've got 12. So they went after the what? The leadership. They went after the government of the kingdom of God. So they're persecuting the authority and the government of God. Now that's bold because we had another guy just stand before Peter and lie to him and died. So that was pretty brave of him. 
Listen to this, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. That's a direct order. All right. It was during the night. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. So they're out of there. But it's kind of interesting, because let's go on. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they came back and reported, they're missing. What the heck? Where'd they go? They were locked up. Angel opens the door. Where are these guys? They must have ran for the hills. When the officers came, they didn't find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Come on, how cool is that? Somebody fill in the blanks. Tell me what happened. What does that mean? So once it translated, in other words, they, they were somehow bodily moved out of that prison and into, out, to get out of it. So the angel comes walking up, opens the doors, speaks to the 12. I would imagine he spoke to the 12, not just some kind of, you know, thing in their head. But look, at, go out into the temple and you go preach the word of life. Yeah, but we got arrested doing this. But I don't think that was their attitude. Their attitude's like, yeah, we're down with that. So they go, the angel locks the door, and I don't know, what, what do you think? I mean, we're just speculating. This, it's, it's fun to do that. What do you think the angel did with those guards? I mean, blinded them or deafened them or put them to sleep or did something. Isn't there a wrestler that does, you can't see me, right? Say what? Cloaked the apostles? Okay, cool. Cloaking. I, I have a, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story here just because it is so cool. Uh, we have a friend as a church, a sister church downriver, and uh, Ray Bucciarelli, you remember Pastor Ray Bucciarelli? He's spoken here before. Um, he's a missionary overseas in the Middle East. Uh, this happened to him about four years ago. He was in Jerusalem uh, and uh, doing ministry there. And the last night he was there, he wanted to go into David's tomb. All right? And uh, he was at the King David Hotel. He, it was late in the evening. He walked down to David's tomb and uh, it should have been closed and locked up, but when he got there, uh, the guards that were there, a car had pulled up, and the guards went over, and a guy opened his trunk, and the guards were looking at, in the trunk, and Ray thought, well, I'm just going to go in. So Ray walked in, and there was a guard, he noticed that there was a lot of singing, there was dancing going on, there was some kind of Jewish festival going on inside David's tomb. And when he got there, now he's a Gentile, right? Bucciarelli, eh? So he walks in, and there's a guard at the front door, and as he's about to go there, two young Jewish 
uh, students come up, they got the yarmulke, and they're arguing with the guards because they want to go in, and the guards say, you can't go in, this is for the rabbis, you have to stay out, and they begin arguing, so Ray just walks right by him, <laughs> and he walks into the tomb of David, and what's fascinating is he turns and he sees in one room women and children dancing and singing, and he hears shofars in another, and he walks down a little further, and he walks into the other room, and there's a bunch of rabbis in the place where David's tomb is. They're blowing shofars, they're praying and saying their prayers, and Ray just decides to walk in. This is bold. And he felt the Lord prompting him, go ahead in. And he walks in and he's, you know, moving around and, and, and he's standing there and, and he realizes he's right next to the tomb of David. And he's going, this is cool. This is so awesome, man. And he's hearing all these rabbis praying and praying and shofar blowing. He goes, man, I got to get a picture of this. And he pulls out his phone and right then he's going, am I an idiot? <laughs> and he realizes, he puts the phone away, and he realizes for a Gentile to be in that room is crazy. And he panicked, and he said, Lord, how am I going to get out of here? <laughs> and the Lord said, go the way that I brought you. And so he, now aware, not walking in stupidity, if I could say that, now fully aware, he starts going back out, walking the way he came, in and out, makes it through the door, goes to the front door, the students are still arguing with the guy and the guards, he walks past them, and as he goes to the gate, the guys are closing the trunk and finishing up, and he walks out. He said, Lord, why did you show me this? And the Lord told him, I can make you invisible when I want to. Now, he didn't make him invisible, but he created diversions and things for him to get in and out. Now, he's, he, he's working with, in the Muslim countries and ministering the gospel. And what this gave him was the sense that I can be protected by God anywhere. So I'm imagining that with this angel, he told these guys to go out and whatever took place with the guards and everybody else, they went out. And because when they went to get him, the guards are still standing there. How's the prisoners? Tight. Tight as a drum. Open it up. Where are they? Right? We go on. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, no one was found inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. Right? Don't rough them up. People are really liking these guys. Then uh, they brought them forward, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
What name are they referring to? Jesus, the Hashem of God, the name. Jesus has been given a name. See, in the Old Testament, in order to not blaspheme the name of Jehovah or Yahweh, actually Yahweh is a much later uh, translation, Uh, Yahweh is the name of God, right? And uh, he was called Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, Nisi, Rapha, all the names, healing, so forth, all these names. And many times in order not to blaspheme, instead of saying the name of God in honor and holiness, they would simply call him the name. Hashem, the name. Remember at Passover, um, what is, oh shoot, I forgot it, never mind. Adonai, right? Hashem Adonai. All right, never mind. Anyways, it's the name. And so they say, but now they're saying, you're preaching in the name of Jesus. And that's why when Paul says he has been given a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, he is what? Lord, Lord of all. So it's not just, many times we think he's been given a name above every name. He's been given a name above Frank and Joe and Bert. No, he's been given a name above what every name? Every name of God. The name of Jesus is the greatest name of God. It is Yahweh's salvation, Jehovah's salvation. That at the name of Yahshua, Jesus... He's been given a name above every other name of God for the love of God. Everything that's all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. He is the Word. He is the wisdom of God. He is the light of God. He is the the logos of God. He is the mind of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is everything in God. (laughs) Yeah. That name is above every name. If you want to call on God and you want an answer from God and you want to receive from God, there's one name above every other name to call him. It is Jesus. And he said, stop preaching that name. And what did he say? You have filled what? Jerusalem with that teaching. Because every day, where did they go? The temple. Every day. Remember, we, we had this picture of the apostles that are, you know, kind of in street corners and back alleys, and hey, have you heard about Jesus? Every day they went to the temple and preached and proclaimed. And it filled Jerusalem with the name. Yeah. Now stop it. And then they said, Or do you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Why would they say that you're putting the blood of Jesus on us? They're the one. They killed him. In fact, when Pilate was trying Jesus and he washed his hands and he said, this man's blood is not on my hands, what did the crowd say? Ah, before they said crucify him, they said something else. His blood be upon our hands. 
They called that on themselves. Right? Basically, they're saying, we want them dead. Go ahead, charge it against us. We want them dead. That's why when Peter would get up, we've seen it over and over, when he would preach, he would, he would, he would just nail them. This Jesus whom you crucified, the Messiah whom you put to death. Now, there's a problem with that in church history. Can anybody think of a problem that if we put the blood of Jesus on the Jews, what do you come up with? See? Anti-Semitism. And we say that the Jews are an evil people and cursed because they killed Jesus. No. Rome killed Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. Those people at that time killed Jesus. But who's guilty of Jesus' death? Amen. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We all killed him in that sense, right? There's no one nationality or people that did it, all of mankind. And what, thank God, what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Amen, amen. As you said, he said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. All right, the God of our Father, uh, but Peter and the, uh, and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. All right. Do you think that they're kind of scared or a little weak? <laughs> no, they don't care. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. All right, how about some of your background, uh, Bible background? Anybody familiar with Gamaliel? Gamaliel was a very famous rabbi, a rabbi with authority at that time, the Shemekah, the ability to interpret Scripture. He was one of the key teachers of that period, which lets you know he was alive during whose life? Jesus's. So here's this wise rabbi and scholar. Turns out he had a young student named Saul, who eventually became Paul. And he's in this council, and he tells him, wait, 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 wait. Put these 12 outside. I need to talk to you for a minute. So let's see what he says. The teacher of the law, he goes, he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before the, these days... 
Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all the followers were dispersed, and it became of nothing. After him, there was Judas the Galilean who rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. This Jesus, these followers of him, if this is of man, it'll fail. But if, it's a, if, if it is of God, you'll not be able to overthrow it or stop it. You might even be found opposing God himself. What's the answer to that? Did Christianity fail? Did the apostles' doctrine fail? Still going strong. This thing's of God. When they called in the apostles, here you go, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. Wow. All right. Now, help me figure this out. I mean, they got arrested by the law, the religious leaders. They got beaten. Some translations say flogged. So Roman flogging. All right. How many of you, does anybody know what, what is flogging? Yeah, so they had a whip, right? And it had a number of strands, sometimes called a cat of nine tails and so forth. And depending on the level of scourging, there's flogging and then there's scourging. Jesus got scourged. They would put metal fish hooks and pieces of metal and shard at the ends so that when you whipped someone and pulled it, it would latch into their flesh and rip it off. But a flogging didn't have the pieces of metal or anything else. It was a whip, basically. And according to Roman law, they would, but these were Jews, but typically to be humane, they wouldn't go past 39. So you got 12 men that were beaten on their back. And they said, get out of here. Stop preaching. And what was their attitude? was an honor, a privilege. And then they went back to preaching. So what about you? How many of you have been persecuted? Uh, obviously, I, I know here in the West, we don't have physical persecution yet. But how many of you, and, and I'm not belittling this, but how many of you have been yelled at or put down or mocked? for your faith, okay? How does that make you feel? Let's be honest, okay? How does that make you feel when that happens? Makes you feel good? All right. Does anybody, does anybody feel like um, disappointed? Does anybody feel embarrassed? In the back, yeah. Right. Does anybody take it personally and feel rejected sometimes? 
Okay, I, I was afraid that I was the only one here that it's like, you know, I don't like this at all. And I don't know if I'm just too sensitive or whatever, but when I get rejected or someone laughs at me or whatever, I feel like, oh, man. There was a sense of a personal attack against you. Yeah, and I mean, that hurts sometimes, right? I think if we focus on listening to the scripture we've read tonight, there's something that keeps repeating. The name, the name. That is a name that every TV station, radio station will bleep out. We'll make sure you cannot say, but you can say anything else. That is the name that cuts through, and that is the name by which all men must be saved. Isn't it interesting? It's the swear word around the world, right? But it is the name. It is a holy name. And what that name says is that we're sinners and he has come to show God's love to those who would find him. The boldness that we need is a bold love. A bold love for Christ and a bold love for the lost. That is our motivation. Not to prove us right and them wrong. Not to prove us better than them. But a bold love that is available for all. Now, I think that as time goes, we're going to get bolder, okay? We've all been taught as Christians to be polite and be nice and this and that, and so if someone comes against you, your feelings are hurt. And of course, having your feelings hurt is like the worst thing that can happen in our culture right now. Um, so get, get ready, okay? But here's a huge difference with these guys is every day you are seeing Miracle after miracle, amazing things after amazing things. God is directly talking to you, saying, get up out of the prison, go preach. And then someone says, don't preach. Yeah, no, I saw an angel, right? He unlocked the door, and I'm going to go do this. Now, we can say, God, we should be hearing God's voice and this and that. But, I mean, in all reality, come on. This is like angels standing in front of you. Uh, people who are dead rising and this and that. Can it happen? Yes. Can you watch a YouTube? Yes. But when it happens in your life, the level of boldness is going to rise, yeah. right? So I respect their authority. Let's go on because I'm running out of time. When they heard this, uh, they wanted to kill him. Okay, they, they, every day in the temple and from house to house. You know, we, we've got these uh, church wars going on. People say, well, true Christianity was in a house. And, if, you know, you need to stop this church stuff because it's just pew sitters. And you need to go have home churches because that's the true first church. And what we've seen from the book of Acts is that's not necessarily the case, is it? They met in two places regularly. They did meet in their homes, but where else did they meet? Publicly. Churches are to have a pu public witness, okay? So <clears throat> they met and gathered together in public for public worship, but they did also meet house to house in homes. And they did two things. They taught and they proclaimed. There's two things that go on. The proclamation of the gospel is simply a declaration of who Jesus is to others. And that's where signs and wonders follow the proclamation proclamation or the preaching of the gospel then there is the teaching so the public witness is for us to proclaim and evangelize and declare the teaching part is for us to gather together and learn and grow uh, from each other and study okay and so that's what's going on regularly okay now 
So we had persecution, and what happened? They were persecuted. They found themselves worthy, greater boldness because of it. They went out and preached house to house, door to door, and publicly, and they did not stop. Now we come to the next story, and we've got division in the church. We had an infiltration trying to come in from the outside, conflict, but God put an end to that. We had persecution coming against the church, but they stood strong for Jesus even though they got flogged and beaten, and God moved on them, and they continued to preach. But now we've got a problem in the church, and that's chapter 6. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in their number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of the widows being neglected by the daily distribution. What is that? What's a Hellenist? Does anybody know what a Hellenist is? The Greek, okay? So these were Jews. Specifically, we're talking about the widows. There was a group of widows in Jerusalem at that time. There were a bunch of Hellenistic or Greek or from other nations Jewish widows. They were Jewish, but they were widows from other nations, Gentile nations, Hellenistic, Greek. And then you had the Hebrew widows. Those are the Jewish widows from Jerusalem. Okay? So, remember that they were selling houses, had money, they're sharing, anybody had a need, they're giving finance and so forth, so they're taking care of widows too, aren't they? And so there's daily distribution of food for the older ladies, okay? So if you're a widow and you don't have a son uh, or a family to take care of you, you're out in the cold. And so these women are being cared for as food's being distributed, but there's a problem. It's not being distributed fairly. In fact, this is what they say. Um, the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, so let's say racism in the church right isn't that what this is it's racism in the church chapter six wait till they try to figure out what to do when the gospels opened up to gentiles and you've got gentiles coming in with jews but right now we've got hellenistic widows and jewish or jerusalem widows and what's happening in the food line is, right, Mama Sophie from Jerusalem's getting hers, and when it comes to the Greek lady, oh, oh, wait a minute, i got to feed the rest of the Jewish Jerusalem widows, and now we'll take care of you. All Jews, but these were not from Jerusalem. Could you imagine, I don't understand this, could you imagine, how could there be racism in the church? Do you think there really is? That's where everybody's supposed to laugh. Is it a problem today? Absolutely. Now, they bring it to the 12. All right, we've got a problem in the church. The distribution rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. How many would that be? 
No, 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 no. The 12, you're right, 12, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples. How many of the disciples? Yeah, we're up into 5,000 now. So we're back at the colonnade publicly where they're all meeting. They're going to have an open forum here. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Is anybody offended by that? What do you think of that? What's the wisdom in that? Let's talk about it. Yeah, these are the 12. They're the eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So they got together and said, man, what are we going to do with this problem? And they're going, well, you know what? I guess we should serve the people. Jesus told us we should serve one another. Yeah, but is this, should we serve? We've got, you know, if we stand in line to serve this thousand widows or 600 widows, Thomas, you do it. I don't want to do it. Peter, are you kidding? I'm in and out of jail every other day. I'm not, I, I, I can't do this. Well, how about, you know what? I got an idea. Now, here's the word, serving tables. In the Greek, the word for serving tables is diakonos. So it's the word we get, deacon. And it literally means to serve. It has a connotation in the Greek to serve with love, to be hospitable, to be a servant, and in fact, to run to a problem to serve. And they said, we can't do that with the body if we're proclaiming the gospel and teaching. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word, because they got to direct this thousands of people. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. What's a proselyte? Yeah, this was a guy that was non-Jewish that came into Judaism and came to Christ. Okay? All right, and they put him before the apostles. The apostles laid hands. Why do you think the people liked this? Let's, this is a lesson in leadership. What's going on? Gave them authority. Said, so you guys figure this out. Among yourselves, you pick seven men, all right, number of perfection. You pick seven men among yourselves. Now, okay, everybody, let's get together. I want you to pick seven people from this group tonight. If I told you to do that, how would you go about it? What would you do? But I need people who are full of faith and filled with the Holy Spirit because they're going to have to contend with grumbling, angry widows First of all, who wants the job? (laughs) All right, you pick them. What do you think? How would we do this? How would you go about doing it? Who would you pick? Interview? Okay. What do you think? I heard something. Reputation. People that serve already. You can see it in them natural servant heart 
reputation. I find it interesting, if you'll do the research on these seven names, every one of them is Greek or of a Greek name, not, not Jewish name. Why do you think they did that? All right, listen. How many, how about the 12? What if they came back and said, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm offended. We've obviously failed our Greek widows. This is on them, their leadership. Everything seemed to be going fine, but now something's happening to the church. What happens to a group of people as it grows and grows and grows dynamically? Exactly. More diversity, more conflict. We need more leadership. We need to start dividing up to make this thing work. We need to appoint. Didn't Moses go through this? What was it saying to the Greek widows? You matter. You matter. Greek lives matter. That's good. Greek lives matter. That's good. Right? Now, let me ask you this. Is this politics in the church? Or is it wisdom? So let's talk about that. I'm running out of... We've run out... Okay. Let's... uh, uh, It's a... It's a... um, A bonus that they... Could, would be Greek because it had some impact. But you're right on. Let's, let's say, what would be the process? Let's say you got a couple thousand people. So how are we going to elect seven out of, uh, out of let's say, over 4,000? Just the, the uh, way we'd have to do this is we'd have to figure out a ballot system, uh, give us some names. Who are you giving names to? Uh, it would take, you know, I mean, somebody's got to rise up in leadership and say, okay, this is noisy. Listen, why don't we, everybody put on a piece of paper, somebody you know. That person has to stand up in leadership, right? Uh, maybe every grouping of a hundred. Do you see what's naturally taking place? This is interesting. We don't see the whole background. All we know is the 12 said, you guys pick seven. But what has to happen in a body Within it, I'm teaching it on Sundays, we've got five-fold ministry, we've got giftings of the Holy Spirit, we've got leadership that's going to start rising up, moving up, moving into action and say, okay, we got to get seven out of these guys, they picked one. Now we, let's enter, do you think there was just seven? They got to seven and said, okay, we're good? Well, wait a minute, I got Joe over here, he's amazing. Yeah, I got a, this guy, is a, oh, okay, we've got 50 people now, let's get... Use the gifts to make a decision? Okay. But you know what? Get, we're praying, we're praying. But let me ask you this. We have a sense that the early church was like in this position of, oh, boom, 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 those seven. You don't think they agonized and they discussed and they worked it through? But I prayed for this guy. Yeah, well, I'm praying for this guy. But obviously this guy. No, I heard from Jesus it's him. 
right? I mean, don't we all go through this? And everybody's, no, 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 I fasted, I prayed, I think it's this guy. And you've got to narrow it down to seven. But they came in agreement, these seven must have been quite filled with the Spirit and impressive. And in fact, we know that because Stephen goes on to be quite a preacher. Philip goes on to be quite an evangelist in Samaria. These, you know, this is the work of the body of Christ, the leadership, and that fivefold popping up. But remember, they're servants. They're servants to the body. I'm sure there was someone going, you know what? I went to rabbi school for 17 years. I know how to preach. I don't want to serve tables, but I'd like to, you know, it's like, okay, sit down. We're trying to find servants here. Why, if these are servants, what do we need people filled with the Holy Spirit and have faith? You're just serving tables. If anybody's been a servant in a church, you need some wisdom, don't you? All right, so there's conflict in the church, but they pick seven, bring them to the apostles. The apostles lay hands on them and commission them and appoint them. This is one of the first times we see a transference of authority. Remember, we talked about Moses. He had 70 leaders that he put his hands on, and the anointing came to them. So here we have the apostles. We'll conclude tonight with this. Uh, what, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they so, so uh, the seven. The, these they set before the apostles and prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Three conflicts tonight. An infiltration coming in from unbelievers trying to corrupt the church. God deals with that and great fear comes over the church. Persecution comes against the leadership, tells them to stop. and They get flogged and beaten, but they come back with greater boldness and ready to increase. Then there's an inner division in the church racially and trying to figure out which causes for greater leadership to rise up. And the church must now get, dare I say, organized organized into a body that is functioning and they commission them and because they're growing and getting organized you need more leadership you need more direction and cooperation and they increased conflict brought maturity and growth amen we could go on and on for your life and start talking about the conflicts you've had how many of you are more mature because of the conflicts you've been through right? We all grow from those things, right? So, so you've been through a lot so that you would grow and be mature. So now offer it, use it. Amen? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm over time, so let's, uh, let's close tonight.